Father, I just pray today, Lord, that the anointing of the Holy Spirit would rest upon the message, the message, the messenger, Lord, today. Give us ears today to hear your word and receive your word. Father, all for your glory we ask in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to be uh, starting a brand new series. And the title of this series is Take Action. Say, Take Action. We're going to walk through the book of Acts, chapter by chapter. Uh, we're going to walk briskly through some of the chapters, and in others, we're going to pause, and, and we're just going to take our time. I want to begin this morning with a few general statements about the book of Acts. Let's begin with this author. Most believe that the book of Acts was written by Luke, the physician. Luke was a doctor and he was a Gentile. In fact, he was the only Gentile writer in the New Testament. We also understand that Luke wrote the book of Luke. We also understand that he was a traveling companion uh, with the Apostle Paul. Perhaps he was the first uh, medical missionary. Now, the book of Acts is commonly called the Acts of the Apostles, but probably it should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. See, besides the role of the Holy Spirit, Peter and Paul are the two main apostles who are featured most in this book. This book introduces us to and it informs us about the early church. Now, the early church should be the pattern for the church today. So there are just a few little preliminary remarks about the book of Acts. So let's get started this morning. There are four key events that I see in chapter number one. So let's look at uh, Acts chapter number one this morning. Let's look at the first eight verses as we uh, began this morning. Acts chapter one and verse number one says, The former account I made, O Theophilus, Of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. Until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. To whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs. Being seen by them during forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. In verses 1 through 8, we find recorded several appearances of Jesus to his disciples after the resurrection. Now there are three reasons given here why Jesus appeared to his disciples after the resurrection. The first one was to prove his resurrection. To prove his resurrection. Somebody said, 
Believe nothing that you hear and only half of what you see. Jesus knew that once he ascended back to heaven, that it would be very difficult for people to believe in his resurrection unless there were many eyewitnesses that would testify of seeing him alive after his resurrection or after his crucifixion. So Jesus appeared to over 530 people after his crucifixion and after his burial. And it also says that, that, that he appeared to many of these 530 uh, several times. But not only did he appear in order to prove his resurrection, but also to promote his kingdom. The last of verse 3 says, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So, so for 40 days following uh, the resurrection, Jesus met with his disciples for final teaching and for mentoring uh, uh, and for final instruction before that he would leave them with the task of building his church. The message of the cross and, and the success of the coming church would, would rest securely on the shoulders of the 11 disciples and one more that would be determined shortly. Can you imagine the pressure uh, that these disciples must be feeling when they understand and recognize the responsibility that has been placed upon their shoulders? And the third reason for the appearance of Jesus after his uh, resurrection was to point them to the Holy Spirit. To point them to the Holy Spirit. Verse number 4 says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. He said, For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And in verse number 8, he said, You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you're going to become witnesses to me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So, so here we see Jesus is about to leave them. He's about to go back to heaven. Now, we need to understand that the disciples were totally and completely dependent upon Jesus, and they relied upon him for every single thing. And in approximately 10 days, the church is going to come into existence, and Jesus knew that these men, he knew that his followers, he knew that his disciples were not ready for this. And so he pointed them to the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said to them, before you do anything, in order to be prepared for what God is going to do next, in order to prepare yourselves, Jesus said to wait. Wait. Wait for the promise of the Father. Wait for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And only after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, only after being filled with the Holy Spirit, only then would they be ready to be used by God in what God was planning to do next. I think we can pause here for just a moment. I believe that we can take a, learn a valuable lesson from this. We need to understand that before God does anything significant in our lives, before God does anything significant in our ministries, first of all, he sends us to the upper room. 
He sends us to a place to get alone with God. He sends us to a place to get alone and to be endued with the power that we are going to need in order to carry out the command that we have been given. I think too often when we hear from God, we are too quick to go about it. We are too quick to jump in with both feet. We are too quick to go about it. Jesus said, before you do anything else, before anything else, he said, you need to go to the upper room and you need to wait and you need to tarry and you need to stay there and you need to wait until you receive the power that is going to come through the infilling of the Holy Spirit. There are four key events in Acts Chapter 1. The first one is the appearance of Jesus. The second event that I find in Acts chapter 1 is the ascension of Jesus. And we find this in verses 9 through 11. It says, Now when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. Who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. I want us to notice three things here. First of all, I want us to notice the response. Now, although Jesus had constantly told his disciples that his time with him on planet earth would be limited. They just couldn't seem to get their arms around it. They just couldn't seem to grasp it. They held on to Jesus as long as they possibly and humanly could. And even as they physically watched Jesus ascend into the air and disappear before uh, uh, disappear from them beyond the clouds, they continue to stand there gazing up into the air. No doubt, no doubt I can just picture them. No doubt I can see them. No doubt their mouths dropped open. No doubt their eyes bugged out. Perhaps, perhaps they pinched themselves as if to, as if to see if this is real or perhaps it is only a dream. They can't believe what is taking place before their very eyes. Can you even imagine what must have been going on in their minds about this time? Several years ago, my best friend's dad died. And I was with him and he looked over at me and he asked the question, Who's in charge now? And I said, You are, David. You are. Perhaps the disciples were wondering as they see Jesus ascend back into heaven. As they stand there gazing, looking up into the sky. And seeing Jesus literally vanish before their very eyes. Perhaps they are looking around and wondering who's in charge now. Because we are totally dependent upon Jesus. And we needed his leadership. Who's going to lead us now? Second thing that happened here is the rebuke. The Bible says that while the disciples stand gazing up into the sky like a deer caught in headlights, two angels appear and these two angels say to them, Why are you just standing here gazing up into the sky? 
Didn't Jesus tell you to go to the upper room? Didn't Jesus tell you to wait on the Holy Spirit to show up, to go to Jerusalem and go to the upper room and tarry there until you be endued with power from on high? Why are you just standing here looking around? Why are you just standing here gazing up into heaven? Why aren't you doing what Jesus told you to do? I can imagine the the angels saying to the disciples, Hey boys, Jesus didn't tell you to gaze. He told you to go. I believe somebody needs to hear this this morning. Jesus hasn't called you to gaze. He has called you to go. Listen, hear me this morning. He, Jesus, didn't call us to just stand around, call us to just stand around gazing into heaven. He didn't call us to become professional worshipers. He didn't call us to become full-time churchgoers and full-time conference attenders. Now hear me this morning. There's a time to worship, absolutely. There's a time to go to church, absolutely. There's a time to go to conferences, absolutely. But let me tell you also, there is a time to stop just going to church. And it's time to start being the church. I'm afraid too many are like the disciples. You're just standing and gazing uh, up into heaven. You're just there standing and gazing and dreaming and wondering what heaven's going to be like. And all, oh, you're so, you, you become a full-time worshiper and all you do is stand around and worship. Let me tell you that, that Jesus is worthy of worship. But let me tell you this morning, we need to stop worshiping sometimes and go to work. There's a time to worship, but then there's a time to work. A time to take what we have learned and what we have experienced at church and take it out into the world and start being the church. title of this series is Take Action. The book of Acts is a book of action. The disciples who had watched Jesus for three and a half years must now take what they have seen and learned and heard. And now they are to take it and they are to take action. Now it is time to duplicate what they saw Jesus do. Paul said in Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 9, he said, The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. Say do. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's time to do. (laughs) I believe that God wants to take the grace place to a whole new level in every area of this church. I believe it's time to start being and going and giving and doing. It's time to take action. And then notice the third thing that took place at the ascension. That is the reminder, verse number 11. The angel said, This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. The angels said to the disciples, Yes, the Lord has gone away, but he's also coming back again. But here's what we need to understand this morning. In between his leaving and his return, a whole lot of work needs to be done. Amen. 
And in order for this kingdom work to get done, you're going to need to be prepared and equipped for this work. And hear me this morning, that preparation will take place in the upper room as you become empowered by the Holy Spirit. So much work needs to be done before the return of Christ. We have the promise of His return, but there there are six billion people that are not prepared for His return. Return. So instead of us standing around gazing up into heaven looking and waiting and wanting and wishing for the return of Jesus Christ, it is time that we find our own upper room and we, we get ourselves empowered by the Holy Spirit and then we start being and we start doing and we start working. Amen. There's a lot of work that still needs to be done before Jesus returns. Four events that... Four events take place in Acts chapter 1. First of all, the appearance of Jesus. Then you have the ascension of Jesus. And the third event that you find in in Acts chapter 1 is the assembly of the saints. And it's found in verses 12 through 14. It says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. Jesus had previously given them instructions to go to Jerusalem to an upper or second story room that was prepared for them and there they were to stay until the Holy Spirit showed up. They were to stay until until they were endued with power from on high. And the Bible says that 120 people went, that 120 people waited on God, that 120 people united their faith. As I was thinking about this this week, the thought came to me how amazing it is and, 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 and absolutely how amazing what all can happen when people set aside their differences and choose to unify under a common cause. I wonder what the church could do today if all of us set aside our little petty differences and chose to unify. What if we set aside all of our little pet doctrines? I'm not talking about the doctrine of salvation by, through the blood of Jesus Christ, through faith in the blood and the atoning work of Jesus on the cross. I'm not talking about that. But what if we were to set aside all of our little pet doctrines and especially all of our little uh, personal preferences? What if we concentrated on what we agree on instead of what we disagree on? I wonder what could happen in the church. I wonder what could happen in the church universal. I wonder what would happen if the Baptist and the Methodist and the Church of God and the, and the Church of Christ and the Assemblies of God and the Presbyterians and all. I wonder what would happen if all of us would unify and instead, uh, instead of dividing over those little petty issues and those little pet doctrines of ours that we disagree on, instead of concentrating on that, what would happen if we would concentrate on the one thing that we do agree on and that is that Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation 
salvation. And without Jesus, the world is going to hell. I wonder what could happen. I wonder what could take place if we would unify over what we believe together and what we agree on instead of dividing on what we disagree on. I'm going to bring it right down into this room this morning. I wonder what we could do for God, amen, if we got our eyes off of our little petty doctrines and our little petty differences, you know, and because they don't cross their T like we do and don't dot their I like we do, and so we fall out with them and we and all we can see is the fact that, you know, they don't cross their T like we do, and that's all we can do, and it causes division, it causes problems in the church. I wonder what would happen when we understand it doesn't matter how you dot your I, it doesn't matter how you cross your T. What matters is that Jesus is Lord and He's the only way to heaven, what would happen if we would unify over what we agree on and what we believe on instead of dividing over what we, you know, just don't, you know, you just don't see eye to eye on. Amen? And I'm going to tell you that when churches divide, and we don't have division in our church, I'm not saying that, but I'm going to tell you that when churches split and divide, it's usually not over major doctrinal issues. It's usually over little petty doctrines or little petty preferences that don't mean anything at all when you compare it to the kingdom of God and the things that are, that are going to take place in, in, in the world uh, hereafter in the place called heaven. It's the little bitty things. Let me tell you that it hurts my heart. When I hear people in the church who have grievances with one another, and I love both parties, and honestly I see good and bad in both parties, and I see strengths and weaknesses in both parties, and it breaks my heart and it grieves my spirit. Help me understand there's only one perfect and they crucified him. I grieve over the fact that we find one little thing in somebody's teaching that we don't agree with. And so we want to throw the whole thing out. When they have 98% of what they say is incredible and awesome, we can learn from, we can be blessed. Listen, why don't we learn to chew up the, the meat and spit out the bones? I'm going to tell you something. I don't agree with everything I say. Sometimes I go home and I say, did I really say that? I promise you I don't agree with a lot of things I said 30 years ago. Thank God cassette tapes are gone. Listen, listen. In the upper room, 120 people assembled, young and old, men and women, people with varied personalities and personal preferences and preconceived ideas, and I believe even doctrinal uh, differences. Later when you read in the New Testament, you'll find some of these disciples, they're fussing and fighting themselves over doctrinal issues. Let me just give you a little insight here. Nobody's got it all right. It's going to be amazing when we get to heaven to find out what we were right about, what we were wrong about. It's going to be amazing to see some people there. And some people are going to be amazed that we're there. But these 120, for 10 days, decided to... To set aside their petty 
differences and doctrines and issues, amen, and focus on one thing, and that was, amen, to receive the power that they were promised. This group of 120 came for two reasons. Number one, they came to pray. They came to pray. Verse 14, they all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. Notice the words, one accord and prayer. You know what that tells me? That tells me that prayer produces unity. Perhaps the reason why some churches tend to fuss a lot is because they have neglected the prayer meeting. I find it quite interesting that the early church was birthed out of a prayer meeting. It wasn't birthed out of a church planting convention. Not against church planting conventions, but it was, the early church was birthed out of a prayer meeting. The early church started as a prayer meeting. Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And yet in most churches today, everything else receives a higher priority than prayer. Somehow I just believe that that if the early church prioritized prayer, then so should the last days church. And by the way, we just happen to have an all-church prayer meeting every Wednesday from noon to one here at the church. Most of you don't, are not aware of it because I know you'd be here if you were aware of it, so I want to make you aware of that. Some of you can't get here because logistically you can't get here. We're encouraging you to take some time on your lunch hour to pray, so we're all praying on Wednesday during our lunchtime, all right? But not only did these 120 go to the upper room to pray, they came to receive power. Verse number 8 says, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The purpose of the infilling of the Holy Spirit is power. Power to be and power to do. Power to be witnesses of Jesus and power to do the work of the kingdom. The third event I, I see in the first chapter of the book of Acts is the assembly of the saints. They came to pray and they came to receive power. And may I say this morning that so should it be with the assembly of the saints today. Hear me this morning. We are here today to pray and we are here to receive power. We're not here just to do our little Christian duty. We're not here just to get propped back up. And so hopefully we can hold on until we can get propped back up next Sunday. We're not here this morning to show off our talent or our speaking skills. We are here to pray. We are here to wait on God. We are here to hear from God. We are here to tarry in His presence. We are here to be empowered by the Holy Spirit so that we can leave here and we can go affect our personal world and influence somebody, somebody's life toward Jesus Christ. Notice, I, I think it's... Interesting that that Jesus didn't say go and do witnessing. 
People think you've got to go door to door and knock doors and do witnessing. And I'm not totally against that. And I'm not totally for that. But let me tell you this morning that Jesus never told us to go and do witnessing. But Jesus said to go and be a witness. What is he saying? He's saying go influence somebody by the way you live your life. Not just knocking on somebody's door you've never seen before. They don't know you from Adam. They're mad at you for knocking on their door in the first place in the Metroplex. Hello? And, but you're willing to do that, and a lot of people, most people are not willing to do that, but a few people are willing to do that. And one reason why they're willing to do that is because I don't know this person, and you know, whatever happens here, it's just, it just happens while I'm here, and then I'm gone, and the rest of, the, you know, the rest of it is no big deal. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of easy. I can just go do my thing and run off. <laughs> run, jump in my car, and drive away. I don't think that's what Jesus was talking about. He was saying, go and be a witness. Develop a relationship with somebody that doesn't know Jesus. Go influence somebody by the way that you live your life. Go walk the walk and model true Christianity by the way you live your life. Go influence somebody with your life. But the only way we're going to be able to pull this off is through the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk more about that next Sunday as we look at the book of Acts chapter number 2 next Sunday. All right, the fourth event that takes place in chapter number one this morning, and that is the appointment of Judas's replacement. And we find this in verses 15 through 26. And that's 11 verses, and I'm running out of time, so I'm not going to read it. You can read it later, or they'll just scroll it on there. But the appointment of Judas's replacement. So the Bible says that in the midst of this 10-day prayer meeting, they paused to do a little business. Now let me stop and meddle just a moment. Actually, I'm not meddling, I'm teaching. I think it interesting that in 10 days of praying and waiting on God and seeking God, the only business the church took care of, it just took a little bit of time, to take care of one order of business. Let me tell you, the, the business of the church is not to do business. The business of the church is not to have meeting after meeting after meeting. The business of the church is to win a lost world with, for Jesus Christ. And I think it interesting that in 10 days of, of, of meeting, and 10 days of, of praying and seeking the face of God, they... They did a little bit of business, but it was only one order of business. Judas, one of the original disciples who betrayed Jesus and later became so depressed about, about what he had done that, that he committed suicide. According unto the book of Psalms, it was prophesied that he would be replaced. And it was in the midst of this 10-day prayer meeting in the upper room that this prophecy was fulfilled. And I want us to quickly this morning notice three things that took place in this process. The first thing I noticed that they did was they prioritized the candidates. They prioritized the candidates. You find that in verses 21 through 23. 
The Bible says that they carefully selected two men who had proven themselves to be worthy of this position. I think when choosing people to hold certain positions in the local church, especially positions like deacons, staff pastors, and certainly the lead pastor, I believe the church must be extremely careful and cautious in who they place in these positions. Everything rises and falls on leadership. And we better be careful that we have the right leaders in place. And I believe as the church is extremely careful and cautious in who they place in these positions, then I believe that character must be chosen over charisma. And I believe that the trustworthy should be chosen over the talented. And I believe that the faithful should be chosen rather than the fancy. The disciples prioritized the candidates for the position vacated by Judas. And the only, they only submitted names of qualified candidates. And, and the names that were submitted were Joseph called Barsabas and Matthias. And then after they prioritized the candidates, then they, they prayed for God's will. They prioritized the candidates, they, they qualified the candidates, they, they set aside those that were unqualified from those that were qualified, and they presented these uh, prioritized candidates before uh, the 120 that were there uh, that day, and after they prioritized the candidates, then they prayed for God's will. You find that in verses 24 and 25. I can just imagine their prayer, I can imagine them praying, God... God, we have done our due diligence. We have done our due diligence. We have prioritized the candidates. God, we have qualified the candidates. We have got, we have gotten the people together that are, that, that are, that are qualified for this position. And, and here they are, God, and we presented them before these people and we prioritized the candidates. And here they are. Here there's two men that we have that we have presented and both of them are great men and both of them are highly respected men and both of these are qualified men. But God, there is only one position. And so I can imagine them praying and praying, God, we have done our work. Now we need you to do your work. God, you and your omniscience and, and foreknowledge, you know which of these two men is right for this position. And so, God, we're going to cast lots, which was what they did in that day. It was common. It was received. It was acceptable in that in that. Uh, in that society and in that day. And so God, we, we're going to pray and then we're going to cast lots and, and we're, going, we're going to vote. But God, even though we are voting, even though we are casting lots, God, we are asking you to direct a lot. We are asking you to direct a vote. God, we are asking you, God, for the one of these two men that you want to serve in this capacity. God, God, we want you to direct a lot to be upon the man that you have chosen. God, we don't want the man that we have chosen. God, we want the man that you have chosen. And after they prioritized the candidates and prayed for God's will, then they presented their votes. Verse number 26, they cast their lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. title of our new series today is Take Action. Say, Take Action. For three and a half years, the disciples 
And other followers of Jesus had been trained by him. In the book of Acts, Jesus leaves them. He ascends back into heaven. But he doesn't leave before issuing them a promise. And the promise is the Holy Spirit is going to fall upon them and empower them to carry on the kingdom work that he began. And he tells them to go into the city of Jerusalem and go into the upper room. Go to that room that has been prepared. And there you wait and there you tarry and there you stay. Jesus said don't leave that room until the Holy Spirit falls upon you. Don't leave that room until you receive the power that is going to come upon you as the the Holy Spirit descends upon you and infills you and baptizes you and immerses you and makes you ready for the work ahead. And after this empowerment by the Holy Spirit in the upper room, it will be time to take action. Two things need to happen to us today. Two things I hope happens to us throughout this series as we walk through the book of Acts. Number one, our own personal upper room experience where we receive power from the Holy Spirit. See, we'll find in the book of Acts chapter number two, we'll find that this promise was not just to those that were there that day, but he said it's to your children and to those and to your children's children and to those that are far off and as, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. It wasn't a one-time prayer meeting. It wasn't a one-time upper room experience. Let me tell you that God has an upper room experience for you and He has an upper room experience for me. And let me tell you that we are not ready to do the will of God. We are not ready to do the work of God. Amen. Without the empowering of the Holy Spirit that comes. Amen. With our own personal Pentecost that comes. Amen. With our own, our own personal upper room experience. And so what needs to happen to you today if you have not been baptized in the Holy Spirit, if you have not, if you have not had that upper room experience, if you have not received the infilling and the empowering of the Holy Spirit, amen, you need that. You need that. And I'm going to believe, God, it's going to happen today. If it doesn't happen today, it's going to happen as we go through, as we go through this series I'm calling Take Action. Two things need to happen to us today. Number one, we need to receive our own personal upper room experience. We need to receive power. Power to be and power to do. And then number two, we also need to take action. Take action. Some of you were baptized in the Holy Spirit 10 years ago, 5 years ago, 30 years ago. And you've never done anything with it. You had your little Shondai moment. And every once in a while when the evangelist is here, you do a little Shondai. And then you lay it aside and don't ever do anything with it. It's time to do something with that Shondai. It's time to go be and time to go do. Write this down and then I'm finished this morning. Passion. Without motion is just emotion. Passion without motion is just emotion. Some of you got the passion. You can jump and kick and jump and dance about and have your little Holy Ghost fit in church, but that's as far as it goes. No, passion without motion is just emotion. 
Would you stand with me in his presence this morning? Father, I just pray that you'll do your work this morning. Holy Spirit, do your work today. In Jesus' name.